heard it. I hope I hope you heard in that song um, your hope, your your reason, your your purpose to go on, and, and the provision that God has given. And, and sometimes with some people, we, we're all different. We wired up differently as it relates to music. Some of us really think about the lyrics, and we're just going to get lost and sing them, think about the notes and so. But there was in that song. These amazing promises that that give us strength to go on, and some of us we we need that. We just need that so much. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us cling to the very things you offer in your Son, proven on the cross and established with the empty tomb, and and available to each one of us as we trust in you and follow you, Father. Uh, give us great capacity to be people who worship you and are grateful for the gifts you give. Help us, Father, to be yours in, in, in how we view our life and to, to be yours in how we approach our world and to be yours as we establish our agenda. Yours this morning, Father, as we open your word and, and uh, listen to teaching and, and listen to you. I pray that your spirit will prevail in us in all that we do in this next uh, you know, 40 minutes or so, but even beyond in this day, this week, this month, this year, in our lives. Help us to... Stand on Christ alone. We pray in Christ's amazing name. Amen. Well, glad you came this morning. And it's going to be its a treat for us to be together. It really is. And, for, and you will get a treat from being here, I'm sure. Uh, we have some traditions here at Grace that uh, kind of come back to now and then. One of the traditions is, is our guest this morning. His name is Martin Sanders. And some of you know Martin, know Martin very well. I and mean, just he's got a great reputation among our body. He comes every year or so. And this year we're doing it a little bit differently. He's, gonna, he's with us this Sunday. And a couple of days and then he's gone then he comes back in the middle of August he spends three four weeks with us and they'll be teaching a little bit more in August later on but but it's just a, it's a great gift he, and his, he, what is Martin and, and who is he to you kind of thing and he's just been a great friend and he's, he's a lot of things he carries a lot of different responsibilities and tasks he leads an organization called global leadership which sends him all over the world I was able to travel to Nigeria a number of years ago with Martin and and he's a husband, and he's a father, and he's a seminary professor, and he's an author, and he's a speaker, and, and uh, he used to be in Canada, which really is, you know, fills his sails in many other ways. He was kicked out of the country, though. He can't go back, but, but uh, no, he can go back. But uh, he, he's just a, a great, great friend, and we're looking forward to him being here today. And if you've never met Martin or, or sat under his teaching, you're going to be blessed and can't wait for him to come back, and it'll be a great thing. But a couple other things we have as traditions. Uh, at the end of the service today, we're going to take... Uh, and enjoy communion, and and when we do, and that's that's the, the most one of the most important traditions we have, obviously, is to be obedient to Scripture's invitation to gather around the Lord's Supper. But as you leave today, there's going to be an usher standing there with a with an offering basket. That's not because we didn't give enough the first time round. Um, that really is uh, what we call a benevolent offering, which is to give to those who have needs in our body or in our community, and that kind of funds uh, the fund we have to take care of those needs. So that's going to be at the door when you leave today, so you can understand what that's about. Tonight we have another little tradition that's uh, pretty significant. We have something called the listening room that we do every month or two, and it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's an unplugged evening. It's very very mellow. It's candlelit and you know softer music, and it's a, it's a, it's a time to listen. And, and Martin is going to lead us in that time and sort of guide us through a journey. And you think, ah, we've got summertime activities. It's just stinking hot today. Right? It's, it's just stinking hot and humid. Who wants to be outside, okay? Come in here. It's air-conditioned. It's nice. It's mellow. It's peaceful. And so just come here tonight, would you? In fact, you can spend the night. Spend the night if your home isn't air-conditioned. Just spend the night. Just, just sleep here. And, and, uh, but, but, but start at 7 o'clock tonight with us in the listening room, and it'll be a great time. We, we hope to see you uh, back for that. Um, 
We also have something coming up starting next Sunday. We have a, a series called Secrets. And I just want to remind you one more time, um, this series is, is birthed by the fact that a lot of us carry secrets. We have things we don't tell anybody else, but we hang on to them. Sometimes there's things we've done or things we want to do or things done to us, and we carry these secrets. And they wound us or they damage us or they hold us back from God's best for us. And so we've been asking people to share some of these secrets. It's kind of a bold ask to make that you share your secrets, but people have done so. They've written out cards and, and put them in the mail or dropped them off, off at the information counter. And you know what I'm talking about if you've been around here the last few weeks. Can I just tell you, I've been reading some of these cards, and they just wreck me. I mean, they're anonymous. I want, I want to call people up, and I want to say, please, can we help you with that thing you're wrestling with? Because people have intent uh, that, that, is, that they know is, is not good or not right, but they're intending to carry some things out, or they've been, they carry some burdens and all. And, and we're going to talk about that in the series next week, and I'm looking forward so much to, to preaching uh, through that in the next few weeks, and it's going to be a great time. And we want to give you a chance to participate by being here, certainly inviting some friends, but, but beyond that, if you want to share your secret, it, we, we, we're going to share some of them here, obviously anonymously, and if there's some... Descriptive characteristics in what you do, we'll try and kind of cover those off so it's not obvious. You know, I sit in the front row all the time and think ill of the pastor. You know, we, you know, we, won't, we would never say that. You know. <laughs> Why am I looking at this side and not this side? Because I know better. Um, but but we, 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 won't, we won't, don't want people to know, but I'd like to hear, in our, you know, as we... As we, as we complete the planning for the series, I'd like to know what some of the things that you kind of are, are hanging on to or harboring or are wounding or affecting you. So by all means, if that's you uh, and you want to share a secret, do that on the card and leave it at the information counter. You can pick up one of these cards. That's the front, front half. What you see up on the screen is the front half of a card. So we'd love to have that and just to get a sense of what you're going through. That will just really help us. All right? That starts next week. Why don't you all stand up and uh, one more tradition. Give somebody a traditional slap on the back, okay? Nice and hard. straightforward. It's just about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. Just a few years ago, I was teaching a graduate level class on missional leadership. And I'm one of those profs that I don't like final exams, which makes me popular. I didn't like them as a student. I don't like to grade them as a professor. So I've created a, a model called the oral final exam. We usually bring in a bunch of pizzas and sit around and talk for, depending on the size of the class, up to three or more hours. This was a three-hour group. They give them some questions in advance, and they work through them. I can ask any question, uh, whether on the list or not, and try to figure out how well they've processed it, how well they've acquired in a course like this, some skills and other things. But also lets me check on their character and their courage and other such things. 
Well, in this particular class, one of the final questions I ask is, what's the one thing in the class that stuck out most uniquely to you? There was a chap in there who'd a graduate of West Point, he'd been in the military for a number of years so far. Uh, he'd actually gone back, he's a military chaplain now that he's finished seminary. And one of the unique uh, kind of chaplains who's also passed all the Ranger Corps training. So he has huge credibility with the troops. And he said, Martin, the thing that stuck out most to me in this whole course is you talk about the kingdom a lot. I said, is that unique for you? And he said, any church I've ever been never talked about the kingdom. I said, well, you need different friends then. And he said, I, I don't think that's unique for me. And as we went through the group of nearly 30 students, everyone said the same thing. The concepts of the kingdom you talked about just... They're kind of not known. It was unanimous. So I thought, boy, this, we, we've got to deal with this one. Just uh, earlier this year, phone call with my sister. My mother passed away not, uh, not that long ago. We decided as uh, siblings to stay connected. So I'm the good brother. I do all the calling. Um, they never know where I am. At least that's what they say. So I do the calling. It's easier from the car and hands-free set to just call. And then one of the conversations, my sister was checking up with me, and she interrupted me, and she said, you just talked about the kingdom several times in this relationship. You talk more about the kingdom than anyone I know. And then she paused, and she said, in 25 years of going to church every week, I don't think I've ever heard a message on the kingdom. I said, but you know about the kingdom? She goes, I I don't, I'm not really sure I know what I, you're talking about when you mention it. I said, you've prayed for the kingdom probably a couple thousand times. And I said, Lord's Prayer, come on, focus with me. Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that straightforward and that simple. But we've got to say, if we've repeated this anywhere from a few dozen to a few thousand times, what is it we're actually asking for? What are we asking for? Well, since you ask, let's look at the kingdom. It is as it is in heaven. Get the picture. As Jesus was mentioning this, he had this clear set of views. This clear image of what heaven was like. He said, you see this over here? That's what we want here. We want to bring what we know is in heaven. May it be done. He would actually use the words demonstrated on earth. So there's a lot of implications because this is a broad spectrum to begin to digest and then eventually incorporate. So let's do the big picture overview of the kingdom from what we find in the New Testament. The word kingdoms used widely. Fifty-five times in the book of Matthew, the word kingdom. Twenty in Mark, forty-five in Luke. Matthew and Luke, of course, describe it differently. One calls it the kingdom of heaven, the other the kingdom of God. Jesus appeared to use both somewhat interchangeably. I don't think we have to come up with two kingdoms here. And also in uh, John's Gospel, five times. If you take out the times they were talking about political structures and even a couple of times of evil kingdoms, some 80 times, just the concept of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, or a few times Jesus just referred simply as the kingdom. 
So this is clearly a key concept. We can't afford to diminish it when 80 times it's mentioned in the Gospels alone. So since it's that big a deal, and most of you are going, i, I got to admit, I don't know a great deal about the kingdom. Let's jump into this. What is the kingdom? Since it's a significant theme, let's look at how it progresses here for us. Not only a main expression of Jesus' teaching, but he wanted to make it quite specific. He said he came to preach the kingdom. He didn't come preaching the kingdom. He wanted to make it very clear. I came to preach the kingdom. He actually appointed his disciples to go and do the same, proclaim the kingdom. But he also talked in terms of demonstrating. He wanted you to not have this abstract concept of the kingdom. He wanted you to see it, sense it, feel it, experience it. The kingdom. To demonstrate what the kingdom of God was like. So let's look at some descriptors since he wants us to get the big picture. It's a new expression of faith. It's this thing of this heartfelt faith, not following structure, not following law, nor tradition. It's one of the things we have to watch in our era, that it's pretty easy to take this sort of heartfelt faith and move it back into religious structure. It's what we call the religious spirit that creeps in. We do a lot of the right things, but sometimes for not the right reasons. That's not the kingdom. He addresses issues of the heart so that we don't just follow behaviors. Where we look good at one angle, but on the other side, it's a different picture. It's about this relationship of love. Very different than in the Old Testament and in other world religions. Jesus was making quite a distinction about this love thing. It's not just about honor. It's not just about regard. It's this heart felt described relationship that he had with God as Father, Abba, a very personalized approach he took, and a connection clearly with God. The one that we like most, or are seemingly most comfortable with in references to the kingdom, is this sense of community or family. When we've had a great time, either at church or some event that's related to the Christian faith, You'll often hear people say, this is a bit of a snapshot, a glimpse of heaven. Most of the time, I, I, don't, I don't want to be in the downer and go, yeah, no, this is way too small. Um, I have spoken at a place in upstate New York called Camp of the Woods. Um, some of you I know have been there, and a few of you have heard of it. The um, Christian Conference Center up in the Adirondack Mountains, beautiful setting been both a speaker and a Bible teacher there. And one of the years I was teaching, it was just kind of a unique time. There seemed to be a visitation of God and the Spirit. And it was just a sort of a fun time. Packed houses every place. And I overheard a number of people just talking. A few of them actually saying to me, this feels like heaven. Actually, a few said, this must be what the kingdom of heaven is like. I thought, no, you got to say something. And I said to him, no, it's not. I'm, I'm sorry. Look around. It's all white people. <laughs> it's all upper side of middle class people. It's just your thin slice of the Christian church people. This thing has no breadth to it. 
This is not every tribe and nation and color and tongue on the face of the earth. This is just people you like and feel most comfortable with. If you're happy with this, you're not going to like heaven. The kingdom of heaven is going to be way too diverse for you. And they're going to make you, those people are going to make you uncomfortable. So it's time to expand your horizons, folks. Come on. Uh, they didn't thank me that day for my remarks. It happens. It happens. And one of the summary statements that seems to come for us in reference to the kingdom is this thing that they will know you are so distinctly different. How? Because of your love. Your love for God and your love for one another. It, it'll just be clear. That's one of the benchmarks of the kingdom. There's some more descriptors. It is this incredible celebration. Celebration is a fascinating one for us because we, we have so few. Um, other cultures celebrate far more clearly, far more broadly. If you want to, it's almost like the kingdom of God is like a party. But I'm aware that for most of us, our, our party experiences are fairly limited. We're not talking, forgive me, a high school kegger party. This is not Animal House College toga parties. By the way, you can note in audiences like this, a uh, level of laughter, level of guilt usually go together. So, people are going, oh yeah, I remember. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that probably Middle Eastern people do so well, which is there is this giant, not just party, it's a celebration. The food is every place. It's all sorts of colors and kinds, nothing fried. Um, Midwesterners will miss that. And they have this music that's just infectious in this dance that's sort of odd to us. They make funny noises, but they just enjoy it. There is this celebration and joyous thing that fills every place. You're drawn into it. Even if you have absolutely no dance moves, you want to get out there and participate. Because it's so infectious. That seems to be the image of what Jesus paints when he talks about the kingdom. It's a giant party. A celebration. Those are the pictures that come to us. But it is hard to paint these exact portraits of heaven because of who we are and where we live. Now, I, I hate to break the news to you, but around the world when people make descriptors of heaven. Usually the word Detroit is not in the top five. I, I don't understand that. It seems to be a lovely place in the summer. Um, but it's how do we begin to put together this kind of imagery? Pastor Brian mentioned that a few years ago a couple of people from Grace Church here were with me in Nigeria. Um, a couple years after that, I've heard just about two and a half years ago, we were invited over um, by the government to do a number of things. And one of them was we sponsored in West Africa the first young leaders conference that anyone had ever heard of. It was quite fascinating. It realized that for so many of the young leaders, there was um, a sense of a parental, even a fatherly blessing missing. 
And we, we just had this large group of hundreds and we recruited people to come in and help us. Had these ceremonies. Ceremonies for young men and young women. We also had ceremonies because of wars that had gone on and some of the dreadful and torturous things that happened. And I remember being there and there were some young women who'd had to endure things that no one should ever have to go through. And they stood to be prayed for. And I asked them if they would face the, the rest of the crowd. And I pointed to a few young men and I said, Will you, in a ceremonial way, receive her as a sister? And I watched these young men step up and say, I will be with you so that what happened to you in the past will never happen to you again. I will take them on. I will defend you and your honor and your presence. It's amazing. A quiet celebration. But then in the evening we're invited to the governor's mansion and it was a party. The gifts were exchanged. But it was fun to watch because we had people from multiple countries and cultures there. And in the midst of this, one of my uh, associates um, did something that wasn't planned. I probably wouldn't have asked him to do it. But he went to one of the Secret Service men that the governor had around him and asked, he'd heard that the governor was sick, and asked if we could pray for the governor. Um, and the uh, governor graciously said yes, and so he invited me as the head of the group and two other people to come with me. So we went inside, and uh, my associate was quite bold. He said, um, in our tradition, when we pray for someone who's sick, we lay hands on them and anoint them with oil. It was like the governor's going, okay, now, now you're going too far. Now you're going too far. And he looked at me and he said, I trust you. You can touch me. And here is a man who was transitioning from Islam and moving over towards Christianity. He wasn't there yet. And in front of us, he knelt down. And with the anointing oil, I anointed him and whatever he had left. And we went outside to finish the evening. He had been sent away to go to bed. He came back out. And when he came back out, it was so amazing that everyone began to dance. And it was fun to watch people who had absolutely no ability. And some of our West African, particularly sisters, who shook things I didn't know shook. <laughs> I tried not to stare, but it was so much fun to watch the celebration. Just the celebration of what God was up to in the community of faith. It's part of the kingdom of heaven. So because it's hard to paint these pictures for us, Jesus made it quite clear. He said, I want to take the abstract and make it very concrete. So here's what it looks like. Those who are crippled are going to walk. Those who are tormented demonized. Their, their minds don't work right. We're going to see them released and set free. He even said, those who have already died, it's the kingdom. We're, we're going to see them come back to life. And the lepers, the people whose own body is just deteriorating and limbs are falling off, are going to be restored. 
to fullness. That's what the kingdom looks like, Jesus said. It's not just nice people being nice to other nice people and feeling good. This is high energy, high capacity life change at levels you've never seen. And Jesus said, if you're going to pray for it, just watch. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. So, how do we pray the kingdom? Well, we've already seen this in Matthew chapter 6. Thy kingdom come. You know the phrases. Thy will be done. Here on earth, the way you've seen it in the heavens. So the prayer is, Lord, bring your kingdom. Bring your power. And bring your glory. And we will partner with you. So the next simple prayer is as a church. Lord, show us how to partner with you in the kingdom. Show us how. You see, one of the things we typically do is we like the concept, but we're not sure what to actually do. So across the Christian church, I've actually heard it more than a dozen times in the last couple of days of being here. When people hear things like this, they say, you know, I, I, I want to be open to this. That seems like a great idea. Well, it is. It's better than being closed to the concept and say, don't talk to me about this. But I want to challenge those of you who say you want to be open. Because openness comes with some level of passivity. If you're getting ready to approach a new marriage, and someone says, do you really love them? I'm I'm open to it. (laughs) You know, it's kind of not there. When you're celebrating your 25th or your 50th wedding anniversary, and someone says, give us one of the secrets. Yeah, I was just sort of open. Um, yeah, I didn't, it just sort of happened. I don't know, we stumbled from one year to the next to the next. Yeah, not, not much romance. There is there. So open, being open is, again, better than being closed. But it carries with it this guarded passivity. That's why in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, no, 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 in the kingdom. In this big picture of Jesus teaching the kingdom, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what's come down to us is called the Sermon on the Mount. He said, no, here's what it looks like. Don't just be open. Ask and seek and knock. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Go after what you want. No more passivity. Go after what's there. Go after what you want. When scholars write about the kingdom of God, they typically write about two aspects of it. The first one is the ethics of the kingdom. Kingdom ethics are probably the thing we feel most comfortable with. It's that issue of the heart. That's why you're here. Come on, you could be a lot of places this morning. You've chosen to be here. You mostly got up on time. You mostly cleaned up and looked pretty good. Like that non-committal openness, don't you? Yeah. But you've can't you've come because of the issues of the heart. It is about love. It is about compassion. That's why on days like this, we we will take an offering at the end because of compassion. We want to be those kind of people. It's kingdom ethics. It's a part of it. 
It's the righteousness of the heart that we don't live one way or talk one way and live another. They're integrated into this right living. But on the other side is the kingdom power. And that's the part in, for, for so many of us, the one that's the challenge. And Jesus made it quite clear that one of the benchmarks of what he was talking about in the kingdom that he pointed to often was even the demonized, those who live under the cloud of the power of darkness, we have the authority to see them be released and go free. He pointed to that often as one of the benchmarks of his authority and the kingdom of God. But also healing. That no matter who you are and what you needed, there was this opportunity in the kingdom to be free. To be free. And for people who feel trapped, freedom is an absolutely great word. One more aspect of living out the kingdom, continuing on in Matthew to give you this overview of the kingdom. It comes in Matthew chapter 10. Beginning in verse 7, Jesus wants to make sure that you don't miss this. If you have a red letter Bible, this is bright red letters, if you will. In verse 7 of Matthew 10, he says, As you go and preach the gospel, he says to the disciples, announce to them, this is the message. This is the message. The kingdom of God is near, he said. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Drive out demons. He made it so clear. Here's what you as my representatives are to do. He said it clearly to the disciples. This is the kingdom. We're most comfortable with number one. And even here at Grace Church on a regular basis, I ask the elders it's several times per month, sometimes a few times a week. People request to be anointed and prayed for, for the healing of the sick. We're hopeful about this one. The raising of the dead just is one that we don't have the capacity to think about. That one just seems, well, let's just be honest, it's weird. I'm always trying to look at my audience and thinking, we, we have people who probably used to go to dead concerts of the Grateful Dead. Um, again, level of laughter and guilt, typically go together. Those are the kind of people that are going, I remember Actually, I don't remember. <laughs> the dead. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about here. The dead who are raised will be grateful, but they probably won't go to see the grateful dead. It's a different twist of words here. We're going to talk about this even this evening. Um, because we're going to talk, even as we wrap up today, of, of the things that we don't even know what to do with and feel uncomfortable we tend to just dismiss them in Passover. Well, I know Jesus said that. But we're going to talk about what it looks like when you contend with faith for the things that seemingly are impossible to consider, let alone see. The leprosy we don't have here, but we have it in other parts of the world, and we have other sorts of diseases that seem nearly impossible for us as well. And then again, as we mentioned, the benchmark of Jesus is the driving out demonic spirits. And freeing people is the key. It's not about the demonic spirits. It's freeing the people who describe their life as tormented. Tormented. 
And then Jesus uses this amazing phrase. He said, in the kingdom, freely you will receive. Now freely give. Freely give. Give the best of who you are. Not just simply what you're comfortable with or what you're used to. Give the best because you will receive. Now, pass it on. How do we take the Lord's Prayer and bring it to the 21st century to live this out? Well, 25 years of being a graduate school professor, I, I've always anticipated what's the audience questions and I prepare a PowerPoint slide accordingly. So here you go. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, there's a sense of expectancy. Don't ever just say the words again. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The sense of expectancy. Because of what I do, I get to visit lots of churches around the world, far more outside of the U.S. than inside of the U.S. I like it that way. Um, but the one thing that's missing in so many churches, I mean, I'll walk away and think, this is a good place. This is a really good place. There's really only one thing that's missing. And that is this heightened sense of expectancy. That when you come, there's actually going to be transformation happen. That you're going to have this encounter with the risen Christ and the living God. That you're actually going to have a shot at leaving differently than you came. That it's not just about hearing something and soothing your soul a bit. It's about taking what's there and absolutely transforming it. That sense of anticipation. One of the things we're going to talk about tonight is what will be the role that some of you play in the kingdom? Some of you have gifts. They're latent. You kind of know they're there. I regularly have people say to me, I, I, I'm pretty sure I have this gift. And there's always a pause. And I said, but you've never actually used it, have you? No. Okay. Those days are done. The anticipation of what will be your role in the kingdom. You, you have no idea. But when you put yourself out there and have this kind of activated trust of God at this next level, it's amazing to see how He uses people like us. So this authentic faith we're talking about goes beyond what feels natural, common, even what we say we're open to. It's the ask and seek and knock that goes beyond. Let's describe this authentic faith if we can. The authentic faith has this sense of expectancy, that you live with that. When you wake up, it's not, Lord, help me get through the day. There is a pause. Lord, how are you going to use me today? Who's out there that if I can cross their path, it might make a difference, not only in this life, but in eternity? Can I have some of those divine appointments this week, today? i got a slot at 10 a.m. Can we make coordinates work? Please, it's the kingdom. Use me. So even when God seems silent or distant, rather than saying, well, I'll just get through this, push through, ask, seek, knock. And again, remembering the demonstrated outcomes. We're going to talk so much more about these tonight in specific kinds of ways. The outcomes. I mentioned the word that I like in these situations is contending. I want to contend by faith for the things we've never seen. 
I want to be there when God does things that we don't think will ever happen. A few years ago, I had to be gone uh, for just an emergency thing for a few weeks. And so, in one of my courses, I brought in a group of young pastors. I thought, I'm, normally we bring in the old seasoned guys who have all the answers. And the people in their 20s are going, yeah, that's great, but show me somebody who's getting started. So I found some of the most talented young pastors I could find and brought them in. And uh, part of that group was my son who was planting a church in a tough place. In a seven-year period, out of 11 churches that started, theirs was the only one that continued on more than five years. Um, sort of everybody failed there. And he, he did a, a very good job. And uh, I didn't talk to him afterwards. And one of my students, he, he was a graduate of Ivy League Institution, had his MBA at uh, NYU, he's a corporate guy, discovered that God was calling him into some unique ministry, and so he was at seminary. And he said to me, have you ever talked to your son about how he does funerals? And I said, nope. He doesn't check with me on that. I'm not a good funeral guy. I'm a great wedding guy. I might be one of the best wedding guys in the history of humanity. I said humbly. <laughs> I said, I'm not good at funerals. I said, I think my son has done more than I ever have. He said, so you don't know what he does? And I said, no. And he said, can I tell you? I sure. I'm sure it's not a secret. He said he gathers the family together for the viewing. And then he asks for some alone time. He makes everyone leave. And he just says, I, I want to I do this well. I just need some time to sort of pray and get my thoughts together. He said, as soon as the family leaves, he goes and lays himself across the casket and asks if they can come back to life. And then he looked at me and I said, what did you ask him next? He said, I asked him if it's ever happened. And he said, not yet. And I said, well, it's just a matter of time then. And he started laughing. He goes, it's exactly what your son said. It's just a matter of time then. And I said, it is. Because we're contending for the faith that Jesus said, it's yours in the kingdom. It's not the end all. Everyone who rises from the dead will die again. But there are times and seasons where by the grace of God, He'll do that for people. He'll do that. So ask and seek and knock. And remember, freely you've received. Now freely give. Just about three years ago, um, our team of global leadership was doing a, a Holy Spirit weekend. For any of you who are marketing people, I, I really need your help. Um, these things need to be called something better than that. But it's just straightforward. 48 hours being the presence of God, welcoming the presence and power and anointing of the Spirit. And they've done really great things for churches. We've sort of set them up and they've become regional renewal centers. Well, it was funny because your pastor, Doug, and Meg were sent there, sort of as spies, to see, is this guy reasonable to bring in here? And so I saw them and interacted with them. And it was uh, the end of Sunday afternoon. And we're getting ready to wrap up. It had been a good time. Some great things had happened. Some people who were deaf had heard. Um, this basically in the book of Acts, most anything you read there had happened that weekend. In a quiet and but direct way. It was fun. And we noticed on the front row right over here, 
there was an older woman who was obviously blind. And she had just sat there. She had only been there on Sunday afternoon. She hadn't been there any other time. And as we were getting ready to wrap up, um, she stood up right in the middle of things and interrupted us. I, was, I had the microphone. And she said, young man, she was obviously blind. Young man, before you finish this, I sense you're wrapping this up. I would like to be prayed for. I'm 83 years old. I have been blind for 19 years. And before I die, I would like to see. I want to see family members, etc. But I'd love to be able to read my Bible one more time before I pass away. Well, when she said that, there was just, there's several hundred people still there. There was this corporate gasp. Because we're not talking about somebody's shoulder who hurts. We're not talking brain headaches. Those all matter. This lady is blind. And it's as if people are looking at me going, you guys talk big. Let's see if you can deliver, big boy. <laughs> and my first instinct was, this is a moment for the grace of God. And I just simply said to her, we would love to pray for you. So I asked the people who had brought her to stand behind her, both the support and in case she fell or anything otherwise happened to her, wanted her to be caught. So I asked my team members to come. I took her hands and was standing right in front of her. And one of my partners, Ron, was on the side praying for her. And as he started to pray, he began to, just above her eyes, just massage a little bit. I only prayed a little over 30 seconds. And he looked at me and he, he put his hand up. And he said to her, I think God's doing something. Open your eyes and tell us, just tell us what's going on. And she blinked endless times. And she went, You have a really nice beard. <laughs> And Ron said, quick, put someone else in front of her. We don't want the first person she sees after 19 years to be Martin. <laughs> well, that place erupted in applause. And, and someone said, give her something to read. Well, they handed her this little Bible. I couldn't read it. I said, at least be kind to her. She's 83. Give her a large print Bible. Will you please? <laughs> she did, and she began to read, and just the tears streamed down her face. I've stayed in touch. Last year, she was just beginning to turn 86, and uh, she personally entered the kingdom of heaven. But she saw right to the end. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely give. It's the message of the kingdom. Pray with me, please. Lord, these are unique messages. Some 80 times it's referred to. And yet for some of us, it's, uh, it's coming out of almost left field. Lord, for me as the communicator, it's very clear that I don't want to sell anybody on this today. This is not a high-powered presentation. But as each of us hears this, 
May there be a unique response all the way from, hmm, I want to know more, to, aha, there's an awakening happening deep in the soul. We leave those responses to you, but ask that we can be those kind of people who contend in the kingdom. We want to be those kind of people. Amen. Little quiz, little quiz. See if you're listening. Um, when you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, enter the room. Are you supposed to bring the kingdom with you? Wow, that was weak. Uh, are you representatives of the kingdom? Is that your responsibility? Yes, yes. And part of that is contained in the great commission that Jesus gave, where he said to his followers, and it was a commission to all of us, now go into the world and, and take my kingdom, represent my kingdom, be my kingdom. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, take my kingdom, take my gospel, take my message, represent me as you go. Shortly before he gave that commission, he gathered his closest group of people. And it was right before, the night before he was put on the cross. Just hours before he was arrested, he gathered his closest followers together and he said, he took some bread and he said, this bread is my body, my presence with you. And then he took the cup after supper. He said, this represents my blood, the new covenant, my, my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and, and drink this cup, you're remembering me because I'm about to give you a kingdom assignment. And then he asks us to go back to that meal, to that very simple meal of the bread and the cup again and again and again because it's a reminder of the king. It's a reminder of the kingdom. And so we're going to celebrate that same meal today. When you said, yes, I'm part of the kingdom, then it's for you. And if you're not, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, it's okay. I'm so glad you're here. Don't leave. Don't think this, you know, you're isolated somehow. There's other people here who don't feel they can take it. That's okay. Just, just witness and observe and consider Christ and look at the cross and think of uh, what he's doing. Great songs going to be played for you. You know, you know, there's a lot of things to focus on, but think about Jesus in your role. But if you know Jesus, if you're part of the kingdom, then you come to this meal. And you say, this is my act of worship. This is my time of reflection. This is time of my personal examination. This is my time to follow my King. And thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. All right? We'll hold the elements together. We'll pass them out. Just hang on and we'll take them together in just a few moments. Servers, if you'll come. Uh, servers, come on. As I pray. Heavenly Father, words uh, can't describe what we have in Christ alone. Words can't describe uh, the faith that we can have in your faithfulness to us. Words can't describe the debt we owe. Um, but we can take part in this kind of a symbolic meal that reminds us of, of our life, reminds us of our purpose, reminds us of your Son's grace. And so we take this bread, we take this cup, we ask your blessing on it and on us, and by your Spirit, would you fill us and guide us and anoint us for your kingdom's work? We thank you for it and worship you now in Christ's amazing name we pray. Amen. Service, if you go.